0: Man, that song, that, uh, that bridge, and all the earth will shout your praise, that crescendo so well, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> oh man, we're going to begin in Colossians chapter number three uh, in just a few moments, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles there. Uh, <clears throat> This is how I want us to uh, start our time. I found this prayer. I get this well, prayer. Um, I've mentioned it before. Scott McKnight is a uh, professor at Northern Seminary in Illinois. And, uh, and he, he puts out some really great content. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes he just finds stuff from um, that's been written before. And every week he sends out these weekly prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. And, um, and this week's prayer is this, I'm, I want you to read over it with me, but then I want us just to begin, this is going to be our prayer for the day, um, but let's just take a, a moment and read over it so we understand what it's saying. It says, grant us Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through, Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I believe that this is an appropriate prayer. I believe it's a prayer that we could corporately pray together. So, will you join me in prayer? Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I forget sometimes that I have an imagination. But I see it in my son, especially, I see it in all three of my sons, but especially my son, Oliver. Now, we, we, from early on, we started saying that there was this thing called Oliver's world. And Oliver's world is just that. <laughs> Oliver goes off into his own little world. And, um, and, and the only way that I can describe it, I don't know if I've told you all this before, I, I share this with a lot of people, but the only way that I can describe it is like, have you ever woken up in the middle of a dream? And, and, and it's vivid and you're in it, and then, and then you wake up in the middle of it, and then you're like, oh no. I want to see how that ends. And you're like, you try to go back to sleep to see how that ends. Now, sometimes we want to see the ending. Sometimes we don't want to see the ending. Sometimes we're like, that was really scary. And, and I'm going to imagine that uh, a unicorn came in. And you know, I, I hopped on its back and we rode off on a rainbow, whatever. Um, y'all don't think about unicorns and rainbows, okay? Um, so Oliver, you'll see him out in the backyard. And he will be walking around and you'll see him doing stuff like this and and always fight moves. It's always violence. It's always fighting um, because he's so into like Marvel and the Avengers and all that stuff. But, um, but if we come out and we say, Oliver, like it's dinner time, he will be like, I can't. <laughs> I have to finish this. I have to see this through to the end. And like sometimes his, Asher will come out there and be like, hey, Oliver, let's go play this. And Oliver's like, no. Like get away from me! I'm in Oliver's world. I have this thing going on. Well, the thing is, is he's acting out all these parts, and you can see him. And he's not—he's not being dramatic with it because he's also kind of embarrassed by it. <laughs> and so, he, like, if we open the door, he'll just be like, "What's up? Just, just hanging out." It's like we, we have windows. <laughs> we know you're not hanging out, son. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, but. You know, you could just see all of this stuff that he's making this world in his mind, and and he wants to see it through to its fruition. And I I forget, like, I have a a pretty active imagination at times, but it's not always triggered. And, and, And a lot of times I think it's not triggered because, you know, like we watch movies a lot. And so people have taken the dialogue and they've taken these stories and and, and they've been able to use their imagination and their creative ability and put it all out there. But, you know, whenever I read a novel and and this week when we went on vacation, I bought a new novel. It's a coming to age tale of a young man named August. Um, But whenever I read a novel, I'm reminded I do have a pretty active imagination. Because as a, as a, Talented writers can begin to paint a picture with their words. I begin to put this vision together. Um, That's why I think a lot of times we go, well, the movie wasn't as good as the book. Because their movie that they made was not the movie that you had in your mind, right? You created your own little world. So today I'm just here to tell you, you need to read more novels to ignite your imagination. No, but I I wonder where your imagination's at. What you envision. Specifically, when we are being those people who are looking for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And this word imagination comes to mind because in Colossians chapter number three, Paul, who is addressing these these believers, and uh, there's a rich history here. But but Colossae and and several other churches, they're outside of Ephesus. They're 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 they're, they're kind of surround Ephesus, and and Paul went to Ephesus, and, and we have understandings that he went other places that we don't always know about. But but in Colossians he. He, he even addresses this idea that, hey, I want you to share this letter with those at Laodicea. And remember, Jack mentioned last week that there was another uh, time in Scripture that the uh, church at Laodicea was, um, was addressed, and that's in the book of Revelation. Um, but, but he says, and all those that I haven't seen face to face. And one of Paul's big, big, urgent issues that he had to address in his letters and we see it in uh, we see it a little bit in teased out in almost all his letters but but there's some letters where this is really a big part of it is is this idea of okay what does it look like for you who were you're not an old stock Jew you're not of the lineage the bloodline of Abraham and, and this is important because if you don't know this, Jesus was of the bloodline of Abraham. And, and, and even if you go over to the Middle East today, you'll find out that like a lot of their, a lot of their religious practices, a lot of their uh, faith practices, uh, have to do, uh, not just with like, a, a nation, we. we America, we're so different. We're a nation that's not made up of one ethnicity, right? We're not made up of one bloodline. But, 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 but back in the day, and even still today, you can still see it, but, but their nations were just one, one continued bloodline that went on from generation to generation to generation. And, and, and so Jesus came in that bloodline, and all these promises that God gave to Abraham and his descendants People said, "Well, these promises are for the the, the bloodline of Abraham," and Paul uh, he had this commission from Jesus to go tell people who were not of the bloodline of Abraham, hey, you, you're, you get these promises too in Christ Jesus simply by, by trusting that Jesus is Lord and committing your life to follow him, turning from, 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 from whatever you used to trust in and putting all your trust in Jesus and what he has done and what he is going to do, uh, that you can, you can become a, 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 a fully adopted member in God's family. And so he wants to address that and then he also wants to tell these people who used to, you know, we we read the Old Testament and we see like hey they had to go to the temple and they had to make sacrifices and uh, they had to, you know, slit Slit sheep's throats and pour their blood out, and, and 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 then pour out some wine, and then and then pour out some grain, and let it fire up before the Lord and burn incense. And and you and I, who who we don't do any kind of symbology like that, symbolism. There's none of that. We don't even have like you know, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you would have altar boys who would carry incense down, and that that's an idea, this representation of the prayers of the people rising up before God. We don't do any of that, right? Everything that we do is 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 is, is you know, black and white on a paper, you know, we might sing songs. And even earlier, like, if you got excited, you were like, do I whoop or do I not? You know, uh, we, we just don't know how to be that physical and that, 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 that engaged, but, but their religious practices were, were wholly engaged. It wasn't just a mental exercise. It wasn't just this hidden spiritual thing. It was like, it was, there is no difference between the spiritual and the physical. God made me fully human. And, and, and there's parts of me that you can see, you can touch, you, 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 you can Feel right, and, and you could smell me sometimes. Sometimes I smell great, and sometimes I smell putrid. Right? Okay, so so like we have all these senses, and they would engage all of their senses into their worship practice. Could y'all imagine if we did that? The closest that we have to that is the uh, is the Eucharist, the Communion, the Lord's Supper. And I think sometimes we've missed some of the dynamism of that supper, really, too, because. Because whenever Paul addresses it to the early churches, you, you don't get this idea that they had like a little cup that was this big and a wafer that was this big. Like if they did, they were very lightweight drunks because he says you got drunk off of this stuff and, and, and they had small bellies because he says they were gluttons. So what you have is really this image of it, it, it's a feast meal. And even when Jesus instituted it, on the night that he was betrayed, they weren't sitting down for for, for a little cup and a little wafer. They were having the Passover meal, this great celebratory feast. And they would take days to prepare it. In in fact, if you remember Matthew, I believe, chapter number 26, uh, Jesus goes, hey, listen, it's two days before the Passover. We better start getting preparations underway. So like, to me, I think about Thanksgiving. You wake up on Thanksgiving morning, and if you eat a traditional Thanksgiving meal, you, you don't pop that into the oven 30 minutes before time. And if you do, you're going to get sick. It's called salmonella, and it's going to hurt, right? It's uh, uh, like you prepare that meal. And sometimes like, it's like the, the, the week of, it's like we, moms and grandmas and, and aunts and uncles, they're preparing different portions of the meal, and then you bring it all together. <laughs> But so I want us to think about this. Like that meal was not supposed to be this, this very like stale you know sober moment where you just uh, mm, it was it was rich with aromas, taste and textures on your so imagine this so imagine you live this life not only as a who, but now, as an, uh, uh, a Gentile, somebody who was not of the bloodline of Abraham, and all your worship was filled, with filled and rich taste, touch, smell. And you had a temple to go to, and that temple had these idols where there were depictions of their gods. And think, if you've taken Greek mythology, you've seen what these gods look like, right? They're not always fully human. But they have human qualities and traits. But you have all this physical representation of this place where you can go and worship. You have all these acts, these ritual, religious acts where you can actually... Engage your life in what it means to worship your God. And then here comes this old stock Jew, Paul and his party, and they begin to teach that there's a God in heaven who's worshipped in in buildings not made with human hands. And this God put on flesh and blood. And he came and he lived life on this earth in the man Christ Jesus. And let me show him to you right here. And this Jesus suffered and died. Wait, which God suffers and died? This God, just wait. Story goes, right? I mean, could you imagine their cynicism, their skepticism to all this? And, and, and then he says, and, and this Jesus rose from death. And they're like, okay, let's see him. I want to see the guy who died and rose from death. We all want those stories, right? I mean, there's, there's books flying off the shelves of oh, I died and I went to heaven and came back and let me tell you. they would have been equally as fascinated as we are. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. This Jesus went back to heaven. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's reigning in power. Authority and might over all the kingdoms of this world. He is the supreme sovereign authority over heaven and earth. And they go, okay, but why is Rome still killing people? (coughs) Why is Caesar still there? Paul writes to them and he has to tell them, listen, this God that you have turned to and you said, despite the fact that Caesar is On his throne in Rome, my God reigns in heaven. Despite the fact that you can't see him, you can worship him. And they were susceptible to people going, here's how you worship him. Every Sunday, you put on your Sunday best and you come into a building and you sit down. And you stand up when you, they tell you to stand up. And you sit down whenever they tell you to sit down. And you bow your head for prayer whenever they say bow your head for prayer. And you lift it up. And then you stand up. And then you go, we've been standing up too long. And you go, I hope that he you know, will sit down soon. And oh, we got to sit down, right? You, you, it wasn't those same sorts of things, but do we see where I'm going there? We've said this is what worship is. Just like they would say, yeah, worship. And, and they would say, here's what you do. And, and you get some hints of this in Colossians. They say, what you need to do to worship is, is you need to fast and really make your body suffer. Because Jesus suffered. In, in, in the third century, A lot of people, there's this, the desert monks movement rose up and these these people who would live these aesthetic lifestyles, they would go make themselves suffer because they wanted to be like Jesus. I was even talking to somebody the other day and they go, man, isn't the Christian life about suffering and here we are in America and I'm like, I know Paul had to suffer and he had to reconcile those things but I think if Paul came here, he wouldn't be upset that we were being able to worship freely. I think Paul would go, man, that's awesome. We couldn't have even believed that that would be a possibility. Now, I do think Paul would have some things to say to us, but I don't think he would be saying, well, y'all aren't fasting enough and you aren't making yourself suffer. You aren't beating yourselves up. Anyway, so Paul tells him, he's like, guys, that's not how you worship. All that's saying, you get to chapter number three of Colossians. He says, that's not how you worship. He says, listen, what you have to know is that like you are not trying to earn anything to get to heaven. You are not trying to earn your salvation. You actually have everything that Jesus, Jesus in Jesus, not just from Jesus, but in Jesus, everything has been fulfilled. Everything has been fulfilled in Christ. Every ounce of righteousness, that, uh, every every just act has been fulfilled in Christ. And, and you see that Christ, he, he, he suffered unjustly. He, was, he did no wrong, and yet they accused him as doing wrong, and that he suffered for it. So any of you who've suffered unjustly, guess what? In Jesus, you can suffer. He suffered unjustly with you. You can't sit there and look at God and go, well, it's not fair that, my, that I'm living this life. God goes, I came in to live the same life that you live. You know, your friend who turned their back on you, who stabbed you in the back in that business deal, who took advantage of you. That happened to me in Christ Jesus. I suffered unjustly. And I'm teaching you how you can suffer unjustly, too. and, and, And you can bear it without having to become bitter and angry and resentful and equally hurtful and harmful and violent. And guess what? We don't just suffer unjustly, do we? We cause unjust suffering too, right? We've been the one who's hurt our friend, stabbed them in the back on a business deal. We've been the one who has lied, cheated, stolen, offended. Some of us were the ones who were, you know, not just looking at these guys like... um, Harvey Weinstein and going, "Oh, that makes my stomach sick." Some of us, we were going like, "Oh my goodness." Okay. And so Jesus also comes and says, and God says, "Hey, listen, in Christ, I offer you forgiveness." Because all those people who made him suffer unjustly, what did he say? He didn't say, God, burn them down. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is a message of hope. And so Jesus says, hey, in Christ, all righteousness has been fulfilled. All of your unjust suffering has been answered for. All of your unjust actions Have been atoned for. You're complete in Christ. You don't need to go down to the temple. Ritually purify your hands. Slaughter an animal. You don't need to sit there and go like. Well listen Jesus suffered. So I'm going to suffer too. So I must deprive myself. Here's what Paul says. He says, you're complete with Christ, you're risen with Christ. Chapter number three, he comes in, he says, if if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So where do I get this idea of this word imagination this morning? Set your affection on things above. There's an interesting thing here. That Greek word, well, when we read affection, what do you think about? You think feelings? Love? Set your love. That abstract concept of love too, right? Butterflies in my tummy. I haven't felt butterflies for Jesus in a long time. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thought process, right? Goes through our minds. But, but, but the Greek word, it's interesting. It's phroneo. And it means to exercise one's mind. Literally. How do you exercise your mind? I thought a good word for that is imagination. And now sometimes y'all might not like that word because you go, well, imagination, that's just things that are not true. And maybe another word would be vision. That's a good corporate CEO term. Do you have vision for the future? What's your five-year vision plan? None of those things are bad. Don't get me wrong. But let your mind be filled with things that are above where Christ sits. And here's the truth. Here's the reality. In Christ, you are dead to your old self. You're alive in him. When he returns and he appears, you are going to appear with him. And then Paul goes on and and, and he goes on to say, hey, listen. Here's what you could do. Put to death, mortify, verse number five, your members which are upon the earth. He says fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. A word we use all the time. Covetousness which is idolatry. I want you all to see something something about all these words. See, affection is used there too, and it's actually called inordinate affection, but there's no inordinate in front of it in the Greek. In the Greek, it's just affection. And what that is, that's a different word. That's not phaneo. That's pathos. And that could be positive or negative. It could be that thing that brings you joy and brings you glee and brings you excitement. Or it could be that thing that brings you bitterness and anger and resentment. concupiscence, that word that we use all the time. That, that's, a, that's another word that, that talks about like desires. And again, it can be good, bad, but but a, a lot of times it's talking about these, 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 these desires that you just, oh, you got to get it. And so what do we think about this? Sometimes there's these desires that you're, I'm going to get them back. And sometimes there's this, these desires that I'm going to make her mine. So you can think about lust, on a whole spectrum of things. But but what I want us to see about all those things is is all those things are, are other ways that your heart and your mind begin to think and feel. All the other things that you begin to process and imagine or have vision of. And so he says, put to death this imagination of evil. But, but, but imagine where Christ is at and put to death these, these, these evil, wicked imaginations. And, and, and then he goes along with that and he, and he talks about some actions that can come out of that. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the the image of him that created him. And he says, and in this new person in Christ, there's there's no ethnicity. We're all one in Christ. And then he gives us something to... Put our minds to. So let's just think about this. All those evil, wicked imaginations, and it could be anything from, from lusting after uh, the desires of sin, or, and even as I prayed, or, or lusting after the despair of sin, being tempted to despair. These things are dead. Because they weren't alive in Christ then, and they're not alive in Christ now. And you were alive outside of Christ, but now you've been put to death. And you were alive to those things, but now you've been put to death, those things. But now you're newly alive in Christ. So I want you to put your mind on those things which are in heaven. And then he says, so put on. Verse number 12. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on bowels of mercies. Bowels, that's this, they would talk about their seat of emotion as being in your gut. Have you ever, ah, I feel it in my gut. I've got to do this. I feel it in my gut. They felt the same way. So, whenever they said bowels of mercies, this would be this, this compassion, this kind energy. Put that on. Bows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, or agape love, which is the bond of perfectness. It holds it all together. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Gratitude. And let the Word of Christ Dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. Use us to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, whatever you say or whatever you do, whatever you think, and, 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 then, and then it comes out of your mouth, or whatever you, you, you think or you feel, and then you act upon, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So... I thought about this. I know what it's like to imagine hurting somebody who hurt me. And I think Paul calls us to imagine what forgiving that person would look like. And so whenever he says, set your affection on those things which are above, he goes, I think, what would Jesus do in these moments? How... How, how would that go for him? I, I can tell you this. A lot of times whenever I'm counseling people, especially on the, the topic of forgiveness, and I go, hey, you know what? You've held this in your heart for a long time, and it seems like you, you said that you've gotten over it. But every time I hear you mention, that person's name is mentioned, you always grit your teeth. Like, I see it. like You physically grit your teeth, or you roll your eyes. What did they do? You know, like I see these things. Maybe you have it. And so, so here's what Jesus tells us. If we are not able to do that in the spirit, by his grace, which he does give us for, he says, you probably should go sit down and talk to that person. And they always say, what good will that do? That won't do any good. Without a doubt. I've heard this so many times. And I'm a realist. I can think through every scenario. But I can promise you this. They don't have a vision or an imagination that says if I go to them humbly, meekly, share my concerns with them, my hurt with them, my offense with them, that they will receive it well. They only have a vision of the horrible things that somebody will do. And then that makes me think, Man, what do they think about that person? Well, they're just the type of person who doesn't forgive people and doesn't care. So I think that this is tied that maybe our imagination of what it looks like to show kindness to somebody who's been hostile to, towards me is not only tainted by, by my thought that kindness won't work, but it's tainted by my thought of the other individual. You know, one thing that we see in Jesus. Jesus thought very highly of people that others did not very highly of. He he, he said, I'm going to give this person, I'm going to bet that they're going to do the right thing. He bet on people instead of betting against people. You know what? That's amazing to me because God knows my heart. I think Jesus came at it a different way than we do. We come into it expecting the worst, hoping for the best. And Jesus came into it and not head in sand Everything's going to be good. I think Jesus knew the challenges that were in front of him. But Jesus came into it going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put trust and hope and faith and confidence in that person. And at the end of the day, if we think about it, he says charity is the thing that holds this all together. Love's the thing that holds this all together. At the end of the day, what are all those things that he's doing, putting trust, hope, faith, confidence in somebody except for love? That is loving someone. And it breaks your heart whenever you've actually given true love and it's not requited. I don't care if you're a 13-year-old boy and you said, circle yes or no. That hurts. Or if you've gone and you sat down with a friend and you said, you know what you did really hurt? And they go, get over it. And I bet we will have a hard time putting to death the things that are supposed to be dead. And becoming alive to the things that need to be alive because they're alive in Jesus and they will endure. If we can't start not just imagining outcomes and acts better but if we can't start imagining and having a better vision for other people but they go hand in hand my brothers and my sisters today I want us to let that little Oliver alive in us but like I said he's violent I don't want you to be violent but I want us to enter into this world where we stop thinking the worst of others. And we ask God, God, fill me with the spirit that, that, that can look at somebody without cynicism and skepticism, but can look at them, and not just with compassion, like, oh, this condescending compassion, but God, I'm going to look at them like they are really good. And if they're not really good, that can be revealed. But I want to put my hope, my faith, my trust, my confidence. And that they're going to do the right thing. We will not see the best results from this, I guarantee you. Jesus did not. He put his faith and trust in people and they put him on a cross. So do not have delusions about this. But if we are called to suffer, we aren't called to, oh, just, I'm not going to eat for the next 400 days, you know. Like, you can have times of fast, don't get me wrong, but we are not called to beat ourselves up. We are called to suffer in love. And how much more does it hurt to suffer when you were hoping the best, thinking the best, believing the best of somebody and they are not doing that. But also what motivates us to continue praying for that person and loving them despite it. Let's let our minds be opened up to the possibilities to hope love as Paul calls us to and in that way I believe we are setting our minds our imaginations on things above and not on things of this earth with that I say amen bow your head with me close your eyes I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to give you a time to pray and reflect if you need somebody to pray with I will be here and I can pray with you Or somebody else can pray with you. I can lead you to somebody else. But if you just want to pray right there where you're at. I will pray over us. We'll give you time to pray. And then in a moment, Brother Mitch and the praise team will begin singing. When you're ready to join in singing with them, sing with them. While he's playing, I will stand down here. If you want to pray with somebody or you want to pray with me, then um, come see me. Lord, I love you.